bear with me. Uh, just getting over a respiratory infection, and so I may cough a little bit. <clears throat> so ignore that and focus on what I say. Uh, we're going through a series called Be the Church. This is coming out of uh, Ephesians. And <clears throat> last week, we looked at Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 through 10. And I'm going to reread those because I want you to have this in your mind as I'm going through the remainder of that chapter. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can, may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Let's open in prayer. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we give praise that we have the opportunity to come together to worship you. We thank you so much for watching over us, for always being there for us. And I pray now, Father, that you speak to us, open our ears, open our hearts, help us to focus and understand your word. We thank you so much for your son, for it's in his blessed name we pray, amen. So a couple weeks ago, Larry spoke on these verses, and as we look at it, being the church, we know that this building is not the church. When we build a new building, that is not the church. We are the church, the body of Christ. And in order to be the church, one thing that we have to remember is there has to be unison. There has to be unison in the church. If we aren't together, if we aren't united with the same purpose and with the same goal, then we aren't going to get anywhere. Now, uh, I work in the medical field, as you know, many of you know, and through the study of the body, I kind of wonder how anybody can believe in creation, because as you study the body, it is amazing how everything works together. If one little thing is off, everything is off. And do you know that there are 200 different cells in the body? That's a lot of different cells. How is it statistically possible that, a, first of all, that a single-cell organism can be obtained because of the intricacies of just a single cell, but then on top of that, that that single cell can mute, mutate into so many cells just for the body. That doesn't count in animals. That doesn't count in plants. That doesn't count in, in the other lives, the bugs, the everything, the birds. <clears throat> it is impossible, statistically impossible for a single cell to mutate into that, let alone the creation of a single cell by accident. So we look at the next slide. Hunter. This, this is a cell in the bone. There are three cells in the bone. Uh, if you look at that osteocyte, it's that little, uh, kind of on the left-hand side, kind of the, the dark-colored area. On the right, it's the two larger larger pieces in there, very small cell. If this mutates incorrectly, 
we can have anywhere from the fact that the body will absorb that cell and eliminate it. Any type of mutation, that the body will absorb that cell and eliminate it, or it'll encapsulate it and separate it from the rest of the body. Or, worst case scenario, we end up with cancer. So a single mutation is not good. It doesn't advance us. There's no evolution there. The body, all the cells work towards building and maintaining this body. And that's the way it is in the church. When we look at Ephesians, we see that uh, Paul is trying to get this across to the church at Ephesus. He's trying to stress to them the unity that is needed within the church to come together. And he breaks this down into three, three areas. We're going to start first with focus on where you are from. Let's read Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. Now keep in mind, through grace we are saved. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh, by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the conventions, or the, I'm sorry, the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He begins this off with the word therefore. And that's why I mentioned the verses before. He's saying, okay, you're saved by grace. Therefore, you, in other words, you need to focus. You need to pay attention to what's going to be said next. Because you were saved by grace, something else has to happen. There's something that has to happen on our side. And <clears throat> when we look at the situation, we can see that where did the Ephesians come from? Prior to salvation. The church at Ephesus the city of Ephesus, excuse me, was a uh, city of a lot of traffic. There's a lot of people that passed through that city. It was also the city that had the temple to Artemis. So these people, historically, would praise Artemis. They would sing, they would dance, they would have lewd behavior, just about any kind of uh, sin you can think of they performed in their worship of Artemis. And so they came from a pretty wild background. And we look at the Jews, and what was their background? Their background was pretty stiff. But their background was focused around them isolating themselves from anybody else outside their community. Now, they did not always do that. But they were not supposed to associate with other nations. Now, suddenly, the two have to come together. They have to unite. And as we see in this verse, how do they unite? Well, they were brought together because of the blood of Christ. We see in, uh, and it's not up there, but in Romans 11, I didn't, this is a long verse, I didn't want to, uh, I'm not going to read it, I'm not going to, we're going to sum it up. This is about grafting. We are grafted into the vine, Right? We are brought into the family of Abraham. 
We're grafted into the vine. That is how we are brought together. And who is the vine? Christ is the vine. And so we are that uh, granny apple that is grafted into the Fuji apple tree. And and, uh, Christ grafts us in. That doesn't make us a Fuji apple, but that makes us part of the tree. We each have our individual things that we have to do, but we are also a part of the tree. Now, he says that we are to remember, right? He says that we are to remember where you are from. Now, he's not saying that, uh, that we're to remember like you do at a class reunion. There are, three, there are three things that go on at a class reunion. You have those people who don't go because they hated high school and they don't want anything to do with it. You have those people that have long since moved on and it's not a big deal. They may go to see their friends. And then you have those that continually live their high school life throughout eternity. The quarterbacks, the captain of the basketball team that made the last shot that won state. The high school cheerleader. You have those three. He's not talking about remembering that type of stuff. What he's talking about here is keeping our foot in the fact that we were once sinners, lost. He wants us to always remember that. What happens to people when they get a little too spiritually wealthy and forget that? They look down on those people, and it's hard to have unison in that. We have to remember where we came from. We were lost to sin, and Jesus Christ, because of the blood of Christ, we were brought into the body. And that doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. That doesn't matter where you came from. Everybody was lost, and they were brought into the body. They were grafted into the vine to become part of the church, part of the body of Christ. Now, the next thing he goes on to say is we need to focus on who is the bridge. Okay? Let's read verses 4, chapter 2, 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might that might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus did not come to make peace. He was not an arbitrator. He was not somebody who was mediating between two parties to find a common... uh, a common outcome, was he? He was the peace. He is the glue that holds us together. His death on the cross, his blood that was shed, is what brings us together. He is the peace. He's not the peacemaker. He is the peace. His death on the cross is the common ground for everybody, Jew and Gentile. 
God, from the beginning, had the thought, had the design of eternal redemption. That was his plan. All people were included in this plan, not just the Jews. We look back and <clears throat> the Old Testament talks a lot about the Jews. But it's not about the Jews. It's about setting everything up for Christ's coming the first time. The Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. The New Testament is about Jesus Christ. Now, God set up a covenant with, with Noah, right? Rainbow. He set up a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. He set up a covenant with Moses. And all these covenants were bridges to the perfect covenant. What had to happen? Man did not know God. So God had to reveal himself, himself to man. Man was built on a foundation of Adam and sin. And it wasn't long before Adam and his descendants forgot God, hence the flood. It wasn't long before Noah and his descendants forgot God. And it was Abraham that stood out. And so God started there. But his goal was for everybody to be saved. But he had to start someplace, and he started there. He started with Abraham. When we look at Romans 4.3, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham, through faith, had God choose Israel to reveal himself and to bring the Messiah to the whole world. It's through the faith of Abraham and the belief that Abraham had in God that brought Jesus Christ, the bridge, to allow us to be part of that group. <clears throat> God did not change. You know, I was reading, reading up on some stuff on this and there are a lot of commentators that, that don't come out and say that God changed, but talk a lot about the changes between the Old Testament and the New Testament, saying that the Old Testament is just history, to give us history. It has no other benefit but to give us the history of the church. But we know that God is the same today as he was yesterday. He does not change. This was his plan all along, is to move through these until his son could come and perfect and complete his plan for mankind. His son is the bridge. His son is what brings us together. His son is what tears down the wall between the Jew and the Gentile. Without... Jesus Christ, we have nothing. There is no unison. We fight a lot about different things within the church that have no, no meaning to salvation. Because we're more focused on today than we were on where we're going and where we've been. Let's look at Galatians 3.28. Paul says flat out, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You all are one in Christ Jesus. We all are one in Christ Jesus. Christ broke that barrier. He broke the barrier to cultures. He broke the barrier 
nationalities. He broke the barrier between the sexes. We are all equal in Christ. We all have equal opportunity to be with him at the day of resurrection. Now, Paul goes on to finish this up with, we need to focus on where we are going. And that, of course, is, is always the case. You need to have a focus on where you're going. And let's read verses 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. As I mentioned before, the world was built on a foundation of Adam and sin. <clears throat> Humanity. And that's where it continues. But the church is built on the apostles and the prophets and their teachings with Jesus as the cornerstone. And with that, we're bringing the Old Testament together with the New Testament. The world looks at unity within religion as tolerance. Now, about 10 years ago, I thought tolerance was a, was a good word. But uh, it has progressed to a very poor word in this day and age because what our society would have us do is tolerate everybody else's religion. And what they mean by tolerate is we are to accept it as being true. We are to accept it as being the truth. God never said that we are to tolerate. God said we are to love. Toleration is the mutating gene that gets into the cell. It's that person that comes in with a different gospel, with a different doctrine. And we have three options. We can restore them to the truth. To where they come back to God. We can isolate them. Or we can remove them. Tolerance says, well, it's okay for that homosexual to be the minister of the church and to preach and to teach about Jesus Christ. But he is living in sin. And nobody would have a problem if you removed a minister that was having an affair because they're living in sin. We have to be careful of this. Sin is sin. But we also have to remember the other side. If we're going to have unison, there has to be restoration. We can't just ignore what is going on. We can't just push these people away. We first have to look to restore them. Because that's what Christ would do. Everybody he encountered in the middle of sin... He restored them back to him. And that is our job. That is what we are to do. That is our aspect 
of what we are to do for the body of Christ. We are to restore the lost. You know, he finishes that verse off with, we are a growing temple, holy to the Lord. And the key word there is, we are a growing temple. We're not just a temple to the Lord, we are a growing temple. We need to be reaching out. We need to be bringing others to Christ. Our job is to build and maintain the body of Christ. Now, there's a lot of little things that we do, a lot of ministries. We teach, we preach, we, we run the Sunday school, we run the missions team, we run the, the uh, building and ground team. There's a lot of little things that have to be done, and there's a lot of little things we are charged in, but we are all supposed to be focused on building and maintaining the body of Christ. How do we do this? Well, number one, of course, you've got to get involved. To sit back, to say that you believe in Christ and not do anything means that you don't understand what it means to follow Christ. We have to get involved. We have to have some job that is going to help the body move forward. Every cell in the body has a purpose. Every person in the church has a purpose. And we need to work towards that purpose as well as to the overall goal of building and maintaining. Part of it is following the mission statement. The elders set forth a mission statement. Our mission statement to lovingly seek, reconcile, restore, and equip disciples so that they can go out and impact their world through ministry. Seek, reconcile, restore, and equip. That is building the body of Christ. And we need to be active in that area. We need to be strongly active in that area. And finally, we need to strive towards our mission. We, elders set forth a mission at the beginning of this year that we would envision a church committed to prayer, discipleship, the priesthood of all believers, and servant leadership that will grow to 1,000 members and beyond by investing in training needed staff and facilities required to do so. To 1,000 members and beyond. That's a pretty aggressive vision. And that's going to take God working with us to achieve that vision. But each of us has to do our part. We've got the barbecue coming up in August. That's going to take a lot of people to be involved. The whole church should be involved in some way in moving that forward so that it can be successful. What is the goal? It's to get our name out in the community and hopefully bring people in. And if God is working with us, it's going to happen. People are going to be brought in. We've got to do things of this nature 
in order to advance the kingdom. We can't just sit in the pew, listen to the teacher, listen to the preacher. We've got to do something. We've got to step out there and do something. There's going to, there's going to be a lot of things going on. Charles starts next week. We are looking at building a new building. We've got the barbecue. There's going to be a lot of things going on. Looking to achieve and follow in the will of God. And one thing we have to remember with that, Satan is not going to be happy. And he is going to try and attack us. He's going to try and separate us. And we've got to be strong. We've got to be united. If we are not united, we fall. We've got to be strong and we've got to be united. And we have to remember that there are going to be troubles. There are going to be disagreements. But the only disagreements that are of any weight are those disagreements to the doctrine. Everything else has nothing to do with salvation and we should be able to compromise and move on. And so we've got to be ready. We've got to be strong. Now, <clears throat> Larry had brought up our core, what our core values are. Number one, Jesus is our Savior, the head of the church, and our only pathway to God. That comes out of John 14, 6. Number two, Holy Scripture is the infallible final authority for faith and practice in a Christian's life. The Holy Spirit will never second-guess it. Number three, prayer will be our first step in seeking the will of God for the church and our personal lives. Number four, we believe in the priesthood of all believers and we seek to include the God-given gifts of our members in ministry. Number five, Jesus will always keep his promise. We know our eternity depends on it. Number six, we are committed to the Great Commission and to seeking the lost. And finally, number seven, we will strive to be culturally aware while remaining true to biblical doctrine. Remaining true to biblical doctrine. That is the key. Our goal is to seek the lost. Our goal is to reach out to others. Our goal is not to fight amongst ourselves. We need to do anything and everything that we can to reach the thousand. God will bless us. He will more than bless us if we remain in His will. If we can come together in unison as Paul talks about in Ephesians. If we can come together under the blood of Jesus Christ, then we can achieve unimaginable things. Imagine more. That's why we talk about imagine more. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of looking forward for, to the next couple of years, seeing what God is going to do for this church. I'm excited about that. I can't wait to see where we are in a couple of years. The things that we can do together. And that is the key, together. We need to do them together. Now, 
as we prepare to sing the hymn of invitation. I want you to think about where you are in your relationship with Christ. I know most all of us have been baptized. A lot of us have been Christians for a lot of years. Think about where you are in that relationship. Think about what you are doing for the body of Christ. But most of all, think about what can, what more can you do for the body of Christ. Let's all rise. What's the